You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. Monster House presents Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stoltzner. Previously on Monster Talk. Are you speaking from personal experience? I'm just saying that you got to know when to stop. I mean, you got to know when to say, okay, I need to put this on hold and see if any other evidence comes up. And I'll give you an example. There was a magazine in Wisconsin, like a uh, like you would have an insert magazine in a newspaper, one of those glossy types. It had published the same story with the photo. I don't know which issue. And so I don't want to have to do a library exchange program where week after week I get one reel of the newspaper and go through the whole thing to see if the photo shows up, you know, quite tedious. So it makes much more sense to go to Minnesota, which I don't have time or money to do. So, yeah, at some point you got to say, OK, I can't keep spending money on this. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. That was an excerpt from our 2010 episode about my investigation into the Watertown Ghosts photo. This is one of the most famous alleged ghost photos ever published, and I'd done a lot of work to find out if it was real or not. But even after that work, a few questions remained. Was the story of the two dead sailors a true story? And for nearly 60 years, the only published version of the photo has been the cropped image with two giant arrows pointing to the ghostly faces in the water. But what did the rest of the photo show? Back in 2010, I had to give up on that quest. But I never forgot those questions. And now I have answers. And if you check the show notes, you can share my experience of finally seeing the uncropped photo of the Watertown ghosts. And wow, is it a dramatic image. Join me now as Karen and I revisit the story of the Watertown ghosts and reveal what had been lost to the archives. Welcome back to Monster Talk, Karen. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's good to be here. And this is uh, going to be a fun one. I think so. I was I was looking back at this case. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about the ghosts of the Watertown, which if you've been a longtime listener, you'll know we covered way back in episode 16. When dinosaurs still roam the earth. (laughs) (laughs) Back in 2010. (laughs) Yeah, it's unbelievable. And uh, this was stuff I started researching in like 2008 and really had a lot of breakthroughs in 2009. But I hit some dead ends. I mean, we got a resolution to the case, but I still, there were still some missing questions. 
well, this is one of those really uh, famous stories as well. And I, I guess we'll get into all of that as to, to whether the researchers had an impact on, on the folklore out there. But uh, yeah, yeah, th- this is a really fun story. And oh, it's part of our series that we were doing. I, I, we, I don't think we'll ever end uh, about stuff that scared the crap out of us as kids. Yes, like uh, along with uh, the Lord Dufferin story and uh, Bully Rectory and all of those tales of the, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. That's right. All those perennial favorites. Yes, not not perennium. No, no. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <I think> so. <laughs> no favorites there. <laughs> so the, the SS Watertown ghosts, I think, is what they're uh, usually referred to. That's right. What are these ghosts of the, the Watertown? Can you tell us the story of this famous ghost photo Yeah, as it's usually told. Sure. And, and I have to I frame it by saying that it's almost always in the sections of books around ghost photographs or photographs of the dead Spirit or that sort of thing. Spirit photography. Yeah. Exactly. And I also want to mention my personal first introduction to this was reading ghost books in like the first and second grade. Me too, around the same time. They would always have these like a section of pictures and there would be like the brown lady and the ghost in the church, you know. And the one in the, the cab, the taxi, the ghost in the back seat. Oh, the lady. Yeah, the lady in the taxi. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. So so this one is always there, and it's a picture of mm-hmm. uh, the side of a ship. It's usually it's got two giant arrows showing two faces in the water off the side of a ship. And uh, all I knew was when I was a kid, it scared me so bad, I would like flip past it really fast if it showed up in a book. <laughs> it is very creepy. And we'll have to have a picture on the uh the in the show notes as well so people can view this as we talk. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So the story as it's usually told is in 1925 there's an oil tanker called the SS Watertown and off the coast of South and Central America. So actually off the coast of Panama, uh, the country of Panama, not Panama City. Mm-hmm. There was an accident and two sailors died and were buried at sea. And can I just ask, is this a British ship? Is this an American ship? This is an American ship, yeah. This is an American ship. It's called Watertown after the city in the United States, and it was one of several ships. They they built them. You know what? Let me. We'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. So the the ship, the Watertown, she's an American ship. She belongs to the company Cities Services, which we would now know as Sitco. But it was an oil company. And they were hauling oil, and they had to cross through the Panama Canal, and they were constantly going back from the east coast of the U.S. to the west coast of the U.S., moving oil back and forth. Probably only moving in one direction, actually, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hauling oil from the place where they have oil to the place where they need oil. And this is called commerce. (laughs) (laughs) But but lesson there. these, These sailors that died, they were buried at sea. And then after they were buried at sea, the crew reported seeing the image of the sailors floating in the water, their heads floating in the water off the side of the ship. And for several days. Creepy. And so every time, when they passed through the Panama Canal, the heads couldn't, apparently can't go through the canal. Reminds me of that uh, problem they're having in the Suez Canal right now. Anyway, they... (laughs) They, the, the, the heads w- would not follow them through the canal. So when they came back through, though, the other direction, once again, whenever they got near the area where these guys were buried, their heads would appear off the side of the boat. So because the ghosts kept appearing every time they got in this area on their cruise, the people on the ship decided they wanted to take photos to prove the existence of these, these dead people. Now... Okay. There's several variations on this, but the main story is that the captain either takes the photos or is given the camera with the photos and stores them in a safe, takes the safe to port, delivers them to authorities who then have the photos developed. And there's six photos in the sequence. And the last photo shows clear evidence of undead people ghostly floating in the water. Scary. Yes. Very scary. (laughs) So... That's the story as it's generally told. And I don't know about you, but I just like, I thought it was super creepy. I didn't understand why it was happening. I kept imagining, you know, why this might be and this sort of thing. So when I started, yeah, yeah go ahead. I, I think I've heard several variations. Uh, I think you said 1925. I've heard 1924 uh, as well. So different dates. And uh, I'd, I'd also 
heard variants of the story that the photograph was just taken and then they spotted those faces. So it, they didn't take the photograph because they saw the faces. So Right. I imagine, I mean, there's there's at least dozens and dozens of variations of this out there right now. Sure. It's in, in many, many books. I don't, I don't know if it's more than 100, but there's a lot of books with this as a, as a mm -hmm. uh, critical case, an important case. And thousands of websites reproduce the photo. Oh, yeah, it is everywhere. It's really iconic. And, uh, I mean, a lot of stories don't even go into that much detail. They'll just say that this photograph was snapped and, and these uh, were, uh, two seamen, sailors, were were uh, snapped uh, after they, they had died in an accident. And, and that's about it. So it's interesting to hear more details. And I guess we can go into uh, the, the history of this, too. And, and the timeline. So the original... Well, the original thing that I ever saw was the photos as they're printed in the uh, 1963 issue of Fate magazine, which has a story by an investigator named Michael G. Mann. Now, that is actually a response to a 1954, I think, article from Fate where they talked about the photo, but they did not reproduce the photo because somewhere between its publication in newspapers in 1935 and the Fate uh, publication, the photo had really become obscure. Uh, it had become hard to find. Yeah, and this is already decades on. I mean, we're talking 50 years after the event. Yeah, exactly. And so Michael G. Mann, and not to be confusing him with Michael Mann, the um, director or the climate guy. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but he uh, he was a UFO enthusiast, and a, he was a, an occult researcher. Okay. Uh, and an, uh, an occasional hoaxer slash prankster. He liked mm. to like pull a leg now and then. But this article that he wrote, I don't think there'd be a problem with me putting a um, PDF of that article in the in the show notes. I will do that unless someone complains. Yeah, we can take it down then. Exactly. Then I would just take it down. But it, his original 1963 article has some great details. Although I noticed when I was looking at it today, I don't know why I didn't notice this before, but even he manages to to point out that the original story had them being buried on December 4th, 1924. And in the same article, points out that they died on January 6th, 1925. Now, I don't know about you, <laughs> but I prefer to be buried after I'm dead. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, unless this is truly supernatural. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. Cause of death, burial at sea for two weeks. You know, so. <laughs> I guess a really early question to ask if we can go into this at this point is uh did these two men actually exist you know when i did my original research i didn't see any evidence that they were real people i mean it, it seemed likely they were real people mm -hmm. because so many people including those at city services mentioned specifically by name who died and that that seems like a detail that would be extremely poor taste to make up yeah i've heard the names i was a courtney and uh Meehan. With their, their last exactly. names. Exactly. Right. It's James T. Courtney and Michael Meehan. Right. And w the, the actual facts of the matter is that they did die. Actually, I have to say that the, uh, the, the article about their death, there, was, there, was, there were two articles about their deaths. They were actually from primary sources. From primary sources. One is, says, um, this is from the Pomona Progress Bulletin in Pomona, California, January 12th, 1925. Ill-lucked ship resumes voyage. <laughs> San Pedro, California, January 12th. The tanker Watertown, bound for Boston, was to sail from this port today after a series of tragedies while en route here in which two men were killed by poisonous gas. The sailors Michael Meehan and James Courtney were working in a cofferdam when a jet was accidentally opened, suffocating them. The bodies were buried at sea. Now that that's a very short notice. I um, mean, or you know, it's not a, it's not a long interview. It is, but that's interesting. And I'm wondering if there, I mean, in many, it, well, some cases that I've researched, you'll hear people talk about, oh, this particular hotel is haunted by the ghost of of this person, and then you do some digging and you find out that person didn't exist. Oh, it happens all the time. So I, it would not have surprised me if we'd never found any proof these guys were alive. Right? That that would have been from a ghost researcher. That's like the least surprising outcome is. There never was such a person. Absolutely. And I'm wondering if there are any existing photographs of these two men outside of these supposed ghosts. Yeah. Yeah. I actually did do some research into that. Um, and I was not able to find any back then. The number of digitized photos and, uh, and, you know, extensive family records 
now available on uh, genealogy sites mm -hmm. is means that there's probably going to be more and more opportunities to find that sort of thing uh, as family members upload photos and, and records and documents and things. I, I think it's wonderful mm -hmm. as a resource, although I hate it that they're all behind big paywalls. I wish there was like some kind of library access to that yeah, stuff. Yeah, maybe, maybe one day, but that would certainly be interesting to compare uh, photographs of the men to to these spirit pictures. The reason I found new things this summer, this past summer, was because more papers are being digitized all the time and added to the records. And thanks to the kind subscribers to Monster Talk, I'm able to afford a subscription to newspapers.com, which I use all the time. I love researching old newspapers. Yeah, it's a fantastic resource to have. and uh, uh, But I think it's a really great thing that you're revisiting this. And we could talk about it later on, but... I, I don't think just because you've written something, that means it's definitive and case closed. Uh, I think we should keep open-minded as skeptics about these kinds of things and, and always be open to new findings and new research. So this is cool. Yeah, absolutely. And and if I hadn't have kept researching, first of all, for me, the, the holy grail of this case would be to find an uncropped version of the photo because all the versions we have mm -hmm. are tiny little pieces of what was a larger photo. And they always talked about that the photo of this case was hanging in the city services offices on a big blow-up photo in New York City. Okay. Which is weird because if you look at the photo, there's nothing dramatic about it. It's creepy, but like it doesn't give you any context, right? It's just two little faces. Mm -hmm. But when I actually found the full photo, I can see where it would really look cool on a wall because it is a very dramatic picture compared to the cropped version. But I think it's interesting that often when you're looking at a case, there will be this this supposed evidence. Oh, there's proof of the diary written by this person, which is still in existence in the local library. Or there's a, as you say here in this case, there's a photograph that's exactly on the wall somewhere. So I think that adding that kind of detail when you're retelling a, a ghost story makes it, legitimizes it in the, the minds of a lot of people. Well, and that is, I mean, that's the, the, the main lesson I learned from researching this case was that as the story got retold in various forms, mm -hmm. it didn't lose detail. It gained more and more detail, most of which was completely unverifiable right. and probably made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, to justify the and legitimize the story. Yeah, I mean, it goes from being a, the ghost, you know, the, the captain took photos or a crewman took photos and the captain sent them in mm -hmm. to, you know, the captain took the photos and locked the camera in the safe on the ship and then handed them over to uh, security agents, mm -hmm. uh, you know, from a, a private investigation service who <laughs> then took them to a, you know, it is like it gets more and more convoluted around how this came to be. Speaking you know? of that, do we know the the roles of these sailors? Do we know what their, their jobs were on the ship at all? Because if you don't know, I came across this uh, just weird little reference to them on one website that said that they were cooks. Yeah, I don't think they were cooks. My guess is they were some kind of machinist. Okay, well, that would figure because you know, why would you have cooks exposed to that kind of thing? No, no, exactly. No, you got to hear, you, you're going to love this. All right, so I found an article about their death and it's about how their bodies were rescued and it gives a lot of details about what actually happened Ooh. and it's very dramatic so stand by you ready i'm ready <laughs> okay this is from the los angeles times january 12th 1925 the headline is mate is hero of tanker dragged to overcome out of gas filled chamber sailors die rescuer is revived all right here we go the heroism of costi taviola chief mate of the city services tanker Watertown, was the principal subject of discussion along the Los Angeles waterfront yesterday when the Watertown arrived from Boston, her flag at half-mast. Taviola's exploit consisted in thrice venturing into a gas-filled compartment which could be reached only through a tube 40 feet long and 20 inches in diameter wow. to bring out Michael Meehan, machinist, and James Courtney Seaman, who were overcome. Wow. His work was in vain. Oh, yeah, let's let's pause. Yeah, holy shit. <laughs> this is incredible detail as well. It gets better. His work was in vain, as Meehan and Courtney could not be revived. They were buried at sea, the seventh inst off Manzanillo. The two men had gone into the forward port cofferdam to make changes in a discharge pipeline. 
Taviola heard Courtney call out that there was gas in the compartment, but he got no response to the hails and then descended himself. Mm. He found Meehan had been overcome and had fallen 20 feet from the top of the tank and that Courtney had dropped near the entrance to the tank. One at a time, he dragged the two men out, falling unconscious himself as he got them to the deck. It took half an hour to revive the mate. The men were overcome on the sixth inst. Five years before, to a day, according to the ship's records, a man met his death in the same manner, mm. in the same tank. Creepy. But that's new yeah. information. I, I wonder if that ever supports the idea that the, the ship was cursed somehow. Yeah. Uh, what What does abbreviation install inst mean in news <laughs> instance i don't know yeah this common historical newspaper abbreviations here we go <laughs> it inst means instant okay this is used to refer to the current month for example a newspaper article published in december that says the 12th inst means december 12th okay that's weird that's really interesting i never heard of that no Language changes is the further proof that language changes. <laughs> In, indeed, indeed. And uh, further to what you were saying about the details being added to the story. In one this one little article that I came across, they were talking about these two seamen being cooks. And uh, it goes into some fun detail anyway, saying that uh, they were serving fish and crab cakes for dinner every single night and that it was for the seventh day in a row that they'd been doing this. And uh, so kind of implying that the two men, I think, had been murdered rather than necessarily an accidental death. So I think that that's interesting because it really doesn't make sense that if they were cooks that they would be doing that kind of work too. But uh, I'm wondering, maybe this is a naive question, but was it actually custom to bury people at sea in this way? Oh, as far as I know, it is. Yes, yes. I mean, I unless the ship had cold storage uh, to get people back, they would, they would get really un, unripe pretty quickly out especially in that that region yeah i could imagine yeah i just i wasn't too sure if that was how they did things but yeah what a, a an interesting story and i could absolutely see how this could fuel stories of ghosts yeah so i'm i'm going to put a link to the photo in the show notes and i'll also mm -hmm. link back to the uh, like the original newspaper article because when i did my original research i knew that michael mann had said that there had been a sunday supplement posted which included the full photo. So I knew somewhere in the archives, somewhere would be this full mm -hmm. photo. So that's why I kept going back for digital searches because the only places I could find that had that whole run of newspapers was up in the Northeast somewhere. And, right. and it would have been on micro film. And I mm -hmm. didn't want to like have to go through the sort of tedious thing of like getting the Sunday microfilm for an entire year, you know, cause it'd be like, Right. Interlibrary loan after interlibrary loan, you know, or a road trip to the Northeast, which I'm all for. I love a road trip, but yeah, it, I never really could afford or make the time for it. So certainly not at the moment. No, no, no. But I mean, even over the course of the past decade, it's just never been convenient or affordable for me to take off and go do research that way. So this is where digitization really is an awesome tool for the researcher. So, oh, and also, so, so when we did the original research, I shared the photo with Tom Flynn and well actually I shared it with Joe Nickel. Joe Nickel shared it with Tom Flynn. And they went looking in in, in you know, it was Psychop at the time at CSI now. They mm -hmm. have an amazing library there. I mean it really is a, a treasure trove of the uh bizarre, the weird, the forty and the paranormal, that sort of stuff. Which, you know, them being skeptics, I guess it's the same for me. I mean my library if you walked in and looked at my bookshelf, you would think I was a satanic nutcase. You know, I mean, I just have I still think that <laughs> you might still think that. Right, right, right. But I mean, I have so many monster books, UFO books, paranormal books. And I mean, primarily, most of these are books that are very pro the reality of those things existing. And a few probably I'm guessing maybe five or 10 percent of my stuff is skeptical, you know, treaties on the same matters. You know, well, I think that represents the, the reality of, of the ratio of uh, skeptical works as opposed to believe his yeah. works <laughs> and, and, and i mean I, i'm not proud in the sense like look what i've got but i mean i really appreciate the support of our patrons and you know donators because they've allowed this to exist there's no way i could justify all these purchases with my wife otherwise <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So no, it's great that you have these books because they're slowly disappearing. Yeah, yeah, and I and I do love digital, but man, there's something about picking up an old book from the fifties or sixties and having it right there in your hand. It's really amazing. I love that. So oh, absolutely. And uh, so you were saying you shared this with uh, with Joe. Oh, thank you. Thank you for getting me back on track. Yeah. So Joe Nickel uh, went into his library and he went into the reader's. Now you said too, I think, um, sorry, because you wrote an article about this uh, for Fordian Times. And didn't you mention that Joe hadn't heard of this story? He didn't seem to be familiar with it, which really surprised me because I think, I mean, he's got a pretty encyclopedic awareness of a lot of these cases. But... But, and this is not a criticism of Joe, it's just an observation. He does not like to spend a lot of time on computers and websites, I think. He likes he likes hard, you know, research. Even still, I think, you know, prior to the, the internet, I, I saw this photograph reproduced in lots of books just like you did too. But it's, uh, it, it's, I mean, it's... It was certainly an important case to me, and I, I would argue, and it, I've got books like Ghost Caught on Film, where it's one of their primary examples, you know. Well, yeah, because it's said to be the best case right. of spirit <laughs> photography, you know, along with all the other ones that you mentioned earlier, like the brown lady. Um, I, I think it is a, a famous one. But anyway, what what did he? Well, what we yeah, right. They went into the Reader's Digest book called "The Mysteries of the Unexplained." And Reader's Digest, they, the, their books, I have to say, they they do some amazing. Or in the eighties, they did some amazing work collecting this sort of stuff. The yeah, I. I wonder what set that off. But so this goes back to the 80s, this version. I, well, the, the, I guess the thing that they, they were really good about getting the originals, right? So most of the copies of this photo you see online are reproductions of the one that was done in Fate. And Fate was a newsprint paper publication at the time. So these are like, they're done using halftones, which is a like the very pixelated dot-based way of reproducing pictures on newsprint. And... The problem with that is you lose a lot of the detail. So the most commonly seen versions online are reproductions of the fate version, which has lost, I don't know, 20, 30% of the detail of the photo. Oh, yeah, they're pretty blurry. But Reader's Digest clearly was working off an original negative. Now, it was a negative of the crop, but it has tons more detail. Yeah. So in, uh, one of the most important details is you can obviously see that someone has touched up the photo to make it into what it is. So yeah, to bring out the pictures, the faces, or maybe even to create them completely. Yes. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah, that's where this is going to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. I, I mean, what it shows is that the, the photos were touched up. In fact, so while doing research for this case in 2009, I discovered that there were identical ships made to the Watertown. And one of those was the SS Balltail, another tanker made. They typically would lay down these ships at the same time and make several copies, kind of like the same way builders build houses, doing the same exact work over and over again because you can get efficiency that way, right? Oh, yeah. We see that a lot now. Yeah. Exactly. So you get a lot of efficiency this way, and you also get ships that are almost exactly identical, right? And so the Balltail gave me an opportunity to see some measurements to kind of gauge where this photo might have been taken working off the right. prop version. So oh, cool. Yeah. And so I got this really cool, full, like real photo, like an actual photo of the Bald Hill from a woman who's, I think her grandfather had been serving on it. And so it's like from 1937, shot in Alaska. I'll put that in the show notes. But using that, I could see how many, uh, so in the photo, you can see there's rails. They're, these are like uh, rails on a catwalk. I think they might so be So are called... they rails or are they ropes? Uh, they're posts and with a cable running through an eye hole at the top. Okay. So they're real lightweight, but they, they will keep you from falling off into the ocean, which as the full photo shows you, can be quite rough. I would not really want to be on this boat. This boat looks really dangerous. Scary. Yep. Again, yeah, that is very rough. Yeah. So what I was able to do was I was able to count the stanchions on the bald hill because I've got a perfect sort of face onto the side view mm -hmm. of the ship. And I could see there's about 20 stanchions from the forecastle to the aft. So that, that thing at the beginning, front of the boat, they call the fork for, it looks like forecastle because the forecastle. Um, and that's where like the little lifted up area where the captain would steer from that sort of thing. Right. 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 And then in the aft, I don't think they call it an aft castle, but there there is an, an aft to this boat. The boat's got like a front section, 
a long flat middle full of tanks uh, for holding stuff, and then the aft section. Uh, I would where probably your crew would be, and then your engine stuffs back there. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti, and I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about that you care about—the stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and or useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, although this one's got stacks in the front and the back, so it might be like a little bit different. Anyway. What that lets me do is then I can compare that. And in the uncropped photo, I could see quite a few of the stanchion rails on the catwalk as well. And I can kind of it's match very, them up. It's very clear in comparison. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it looks to me with a high degree of certitude that whoever did the touch-ups added an extra rail or moved a rail around in order to make the heads work. And that was kind of a suspicion Joe and Tom had that, that either they had uh, recreated or cut and moved one of the rails. It it doesn't look right. It really doesn't. And at what point do you think that this was done, this touching up? Well, it could have been as, as early as 25. Whenever the original photo was done for city services, they ended up like somewhere around 1930. Well, was it 34? Uh, the, the date on the first issue of Services Magazine is a little unclear. This story was published in their in-house sort of newsletter. They called it Services. And this was like one of the, it was like, do you believe in ghosts? And there's this. Here's some proof. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, here's some proof. Exactly. And so it's like, a. I don't want to read the whole thing, but I'll include it in the show notes. There's a paragraph. Sure. That, I don't have the original article from, from services, but sort of paranormal investigator, Hereward Carrington investigated this case in 1934. Uh, the photo appears in the newspapers in 1935. So if something happened when Carrington investigated, it must have drummed up some additional interest because that's when the story runs in the newspaper is a full decade after the original case. But the photo had still been hanging at at, uh, at city services offices for that whole, you know, as far as I could tell, for, for 10 years. It, so it was mm. quite an interesting ghost story. And like I said, it's a very dramatic photo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, but but that story... It doesn't have all the details that come out in later versions, but I don't have the original. I don't. All I have is Carrington recounting the story in his own coverage of the of the case. And I can link. To, I'm, I will link to all this the resources in the show notes because I really love this case. And so, if you want to mm -hmm. do your own research, you can. There's 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 still a few mysteries out there. I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think just in, in looking at the photograph, I'm looking at the one uh, from Fate magazine, and the, the faces look very similar to me. If you look at other versions, they look like distinct faces, but in face, it looks like it's the, the same face that's replicated. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it's strange. It looks like a little bit Charlie Chaplin, a bit Adolf Hitler. <laughs> it does. It does a little bit clay, uh, possibly the uh, Easter Island. <laughs> the, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, the, the statues. 
it looks vague enough that you could almost imagine this was a, a simulacrum uh, and that we're just experiencing pareidolia, but I, I don't think that's what it is. And that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's the question. Is this, because in reading your article, I think Joe referred to skullduggery or trickery. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it a matter of that it, being a hoax or is it pareidolia? Yeah, I, I feel very strongly that when you look at the Reader's Digest version, you can clearly see the the photo's been tampered with. It's it's really apparent. But the, whoever did it, did it in such a way that it would be ambiguous. Like he didn't cut their photos out and put them, or, or she, or whoever. <laughs> they, they, they didn't yeah. do that. But yeah. they made shapes that sort of look like the waves, but sort of look like a person. But I do believe they're artificially constructed. Yep. Okay. Because, I mean, there's so much going on to look at the photograph. I mean, I can see other examples of pareidolia. So, you know, it, it, to me, that's more logical anyway than it being a ghost. Even if it's, you know, if if there's some evidence that they were tampered with, that's one thing. But certainly there's, there's sufficient pareidolia going on that, uh, you know, if you're looking for something, if you if you know the background story that there was this tragic accident which had just occurred uh, and then this photograph is taken, you could absolutely talk yourself into seeing something or, or be primed to see something. Now, I, I'm here's one thing that I discovered when I was doing my research that it didn't occur to me until I tried to do an experiment. But mm -hmm. if you think about it, and especially looking at the full crop version, it becomes much more apparent. All right. So mm -hmm. in the water off the side of the ship are these two faces, right? And in, mm -hmm. in a close-up crop, they look, you know, very ghostly and eerie. But if you pull back and look at the whole photo and realize that the distance between these rails is, you know, a few feet, right? These heads are now further away and off the side of the ship. So they should be smaller to, if they're going to be matching a human head, right? They, sh they should be smaller, but they're not. They're enormous. So... Nobody mentioned in their ghost stories, by the way, what we saw was the enormous, you know, five foot across faces of these dead seamen. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's how this kind of thing manifests. This is much <laughs> more like something. Exaggerated some, version. Some, this is like a ghost out of a Studio Ghibli movie from Japan. This is, this, these are giant heads that, that has never been part of the story. But if you look at the, these mathematically, those heads would be honking big. <laughs> So what you're saying is that with this being tampered, that they had to be a certain size, otherwise you wouldn't be able to see them. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's part of the, it's actually pretty damning evidence once you realize that that's the case. But I never would have made that connection if I hadn't have tried to reproduce this photo myself at my house. I had some friends stand off the side of the deck of my house pretending it was a ship. And I set up rails. Like you do. Yeah, like, <laughs> like you do. And I, you know, set up some fake rails the right distance apart and then tried to take photos. And I was like, you can barely make out who they are, you know, and I'm deliberately trying to get a good photo, you know. So what is what is the story then with the the perspective that the angle at which this picture was taken? So it was taken by the captain. Well, allegedly, either the captain or one of the first, you know, upper mates. But I did I did find a little bit about that. So when I was counting uh, rails and looking at the ship model. On the bald hill, there are these big vents. Uh, they're called dorade boxes. They're the big tuba-looking sort of ventilators like you see. You remember Raiders There's of Lost Ark? terminology. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you could just call them a ventilator. But they're the big things that look like a tuba on the deck of a ship. In cartoons, people are always popping out of them or whatever. And then in, in Raiders, you see Indy hiding in one behind a Nazi. Oh. <laughs> so looking at where that's located and then counting the rails... If the rails that we can see in the full uh, Watertown photo are accurate, they've got to be standing really, really close to the forecastle uh, on the side. So I'm gonna, I'll put this. This is not scientific in any way. This is me trying to, you know, match the photos. But I, I, I will put my findings in the show notes. And I'm not saying this is exactly precise, but it's pretty close. They're going to be standing. It's a good guide. Yeah, it's a really good guide. In fact, on the Bald Hill photo, you can see there's like three crew members standing around. To the right. Right, yep. to the right of the photo. That's probably exactly where the photographer would have been standing. They wouldn't have wanted to be standing any much closer because you can see how rough the sea is in, in this mm -hmm. photo. It would have been, it would not have been a really safe oh, photo. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, that's terrifying. But 
So when this photograph was taken, was it claimed that the, the faces were seen at that time or they were seen afterwards? Yeah, yeah. No, they were they were seen at that time and the photographer was trying to catch pictures, took six photos trying to capture what he was seeing with his eyes. But in the photos, only one showed the actual ghosts. It'd be really great to see the photographs proceeding and following. Oh, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's your There's a lot, a lot missing here. <laughs> There's a lot missing here. Yeah. They had said a detail had been added that the Burns Detective Agency was involved with securing and making sure that the negatives uh, were not tampered with. And that is almost certainly not true. It was never part of the story back in the 30s. It got added later. And I contacted people at the Securitas firm and at Cities Services, which is now SitGo. And I, I went I went all out on this. I sent, yes, I hired really a researcher did. to go to the National Archives for me. I had, uh, yeah, there. I really wow. put a lot into this case. <laughs> wow, yeah, you did an amazing job. You've really done so much more than anyone else out there because uh, what you see online, if you go and look this up either on YouTube or on the internet or even in books, you're just seeing a replication of the folklore. It's just the story told time after time slight variances in the story, sometimes more information that, again, to kind of legitimize the story. But what you've done is really such a great piece of, of uh, research and skepticism. Thank you. I, You know, every now and then we get a nasty one-star review on, on our show, and it'll always be something along the lines of, these arrogant know-it-alls, you know, you know, why can't they just enjoy a good ghost story? Why, why do they hate monsters? And it's like, we uh, love this stuff. We love it. We love it enough to want to know if it's true or not. <laughs> well, they they really must not listen to other skeptical shows because you and I are quite gentle yeah, on this well, sort of thing. Well, I know. They absolutely and it's like, love the folklore. And it's like, I mean, it's, uh, saying I'm not arrogant is exactly what an arrogant person would say. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can say, like, you're not arrogant. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. I, I don't know. If I sound arrogant, I apologize. You, you really don't come across that way. I mean, yeah. other skeptics, yes, not not naming names. Yeah. But... Well, I mean, we look, we bother to look. We really, I mean, we, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out, you know, what's the real story, you know? And, We're not trying to spoil these mysteries. No, We're... and sometimes we can't get a good answer. I mean, I'm fascinated by the Goddard's squadron photo, and I don't have a great explanation for that one, but I've done a lot of research on it, right? Well, I'm glad that you've raised that because I do think it's it's a similar case. And again, it's one of those cases like the brown lady story and, and the, the face in the, the taxi cab uh, that's raised as part of a series of spirit pho photography and you know, real cases, real examples. Uh, so with this Goddard's Royal Air Force Squadron picture, uh, can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because it is it's similar. I mean, you've basically got someone who has died and then appears in a photograph. Exactly. Right, right. Well, the, the, the story on that one is, uh, and we could throw this in the show notes. I, I don't want to dig too deep because I still have a lot of research to do in my opinion, but, but well, that's for a future episode, for a future episode. Too. But, but this is a famous photo of a squadron of flyers in what would eventually become the British air force, but was not at the time. And it was, they were stationed at, I want to say HMS Daedalus, which is not a ship. Yes. It's a shore station. I'm trying to do that's this from right. memory and I'm old and have a terrible memory. So bear with me. No, no that's good. <laughs> but the story is that one of the crew members uh, was accidentally walked into a propeller and he was killed. And it's then Freddie Jackson, I think is the name. Yes. That's... And then, and then shortly thereafter, they were doing a, a photo of the whole squadron and everybody in the photo is wearing a hat, except there's a mysterious sort of half face blurry behind one of the people and the fact that the blurry face is there would normally be like oh someone moved except that the face doesn't match the person it's next to and more importantly not wearing a hat and so part of my research on that was was that person really stationed at hms daedalus and mm -hmm. did they actually die prior to the date of that photograph that sort of thing because the story first appears when many years later one of the women who was involved in the photo sent a copy of it to her captain, Goddard, that's the guy, 
And Goddard had become... It's become all about him now, hasn't it? <laughs> well, it has. Because he actually was super into spiritualism. And he's very famous for a story where he claims he time-traveled in his aircraft. Where, like, he went through some clouds and saw his airbase as it would be in the future. And then later realized that that's what would happen. So, I mean, he's... He's an interesting cat. And I'm almost positive that one of the episodes of The Twilight Zone, where there's a, a guy who comes like uh, into the future on an airplane. He's like an airplane. He, an old airplane lands at a new military base, and he stops to get gas and goes back in, through time. Um, I'm almost positive that's based on the Goddard story. Possibly, yeah. Well, I think what's suspicious about the image to me is that the photograph dates back to 1919, and yet it's not published until 1975. That's such a... a long period in between for all kinds of things to happen. It's true. And um, I reached out to the woman who had actually originally shared and she had passed away. But the family that kept her or took care of her at the end sent me a really lovely copy of the photo and a bunch of information about the case. So I've been trying to like, you know, sort of use that as guidance and and get more information. I'd really love to have the original photo. What they sent me was a very good copy of it. But man, I'd really love to have the original photo. Even more, I like ran down to the uh, the company that took the photos is still in business, right? And right. they have an extensive archive of all their old glass plates and stuff. But okay. when I tried to reach out to, I mean, as a historic, you know, I'm not a historian, but as a historical researcher, I would love to take the time to go there and go through and see if you could find the original glass plate. And then you could see if it had been mm-hmm. tampered with or if it was post that, you know, that, that sort of thing. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, they were not interested in my <laughs> obsession. <laughs> so even though I'm effort. very interested, they were not. So, <laughs> Well, I think that that is a really fun story too. That's a really creepy photograph as far as I'm concerned. And, yeah. And the idea that he's he's appeared there with his, his uh, colleagues and, uh, not wearing his hat as some kind of you know way to, to distance him from from them uh, is a really creepy one, and certainly in the same family of these kinds of spirit photographs. Right, and and I think one of the things I was looking at was did Freddie Jackson really die? You know, before that date, that kind of thing. You know, I mean, there, there, there's some there's some things what you could at least test. Death, if that was true. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and um, and it, it I <laughs> I did find some data about that. I think I published it on the uh insight blog over at skeptic uh when we were working okay, with we'll, them we'll, we'll revisit this one too i think in future yeah. when we get some time to yeah. delve into it again it is a really eerie photo and it it doesn't i'll say it, yeah it doesn't obviously to me doesn't obviously show signs of hoaxing but it's the kind of thing that can easily be faked so you know it's very much of the style of, of other ones like yeah, that too. And but... during a time when it was extremely popular to uh yeah. do the spirit photo stuff so Oh, absolutely. That's a bit of a giveaway too. Yeah. So with the case then, uh, so what else is still missing then from from this story? What do we still need to, to kind of piece together with this? Every time I think about that, I think about that scene in My Cousin Vinny where the prosecutor says, I'd like to have a murder weapon. But uh, <laughs> I, th- I, I think I'd really like to see the original city services article from Service Magazine. I, it's it's not a big deal, but I'd I'd like to see it. Yeah, so I mean, it's just suspicious that we've never. It is. It's weird. It's weird. It's, it bugs me that 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 was quoted by Carrington and and then uh, Man talked about it, but it's not part of the city's services archive. Uh, there's a big archive in uh, Oklahoma at one of the universities there uh, from from city services, but they don't have the first issue. So I think that's kind of a bummer, but. Um, well, that, that's, that's the main thing. I mean, really, I feel like now that we've got the full photo, I mean, if there were a better copy of it, that'd be great. But I'm just excited to see it at all. I mean, it does tell us more information about what was like, for first, the big thing, I would never have guessed that this was the angle the photo was taking at from the crop version, right? This completely perpendicular to where I thought, it. yeah, I absolutely thought this was a sort of a perpendicular shot and it's much more parallel than I would have expected. Yeah, that is a really weird perspective. And, and just the photograph that we keep seeing, it, it just reproduced again and again and again uh, is just so, so different. But I'm just wondering with that uh, man, just how much he might have 
manipulated with in terms of not necessarily the photograph but the the story and the narrative yeah he he seems like a tricky dicky i mean (laughs) but but skullduggery (laughs) but but his the article really does mostly check out it just it surprised me when i was reading the story today i'm sure he was doing the same thing i was doing i was looking for all the details Mm-hmm. And even in his own article, he has published without, I think, without realizing it, that the story that he had been told has the dates wrong. And the the original Fate article was apparently riddled with errors. His version corrects several of them. Like they had the okay. physical location of where the, the death happened, like on the opposite side of the planet. So, yeah, <laughs> there were some oh, issues. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that is, yeah, one of the, the more famous ones. But I came across another uh, story, too, that said that, as I mentioned earlier, that Courtney and Meehan were disliked by the rest of the crew. And this uh, one story said that they were they were murdered and they were tied to the ship. And that was why you, that was why you could see their oh, faces. Oh, Lord. Right. People are clearly <laughs> glomming their own narratives on here, which is terrible because it sounds like the actual death was quite tragic. And the brave it's, work it's tragic of tragic enough. Yeah, that brave guy going through that little bitty pipe to rescue everybody when you work on ships okay there's these areas on the ships that are empty they're called voids sometimes you use them to for ballast you might pump water in or pump water out and they can fill up with leaked gases from around the ship so there's all kinds of safety procedures in the navy these days about going into a void like there's a bunch of safety procedures you would never do it alone you would always do it with breathing equipment. You would check the air. There's all these the things you canary. do. Canary. Yeah. You just canaries. <laughs> right. Exactly. Sorry, sorry Tweety. <laughs> I think I saw. <laughs> uh, anyway. Well, the... yeah. That, I mean, that, that is a terrifying thing. I mean, what a brave guy he was to go in there and rescue those guys. So, yeah, it doesn't sound like they were disliked if he went to that effort to save them. No. I mean, these these guys have really, I mean... You can imagine anytime there's a story that has a legend associated with it, these these things change. I was looking at the, uh, you know, the story about uh, Archimedes trying to figure out whether a crown was made of gold or not, and so he like gets in the bath and then jumps out when he realizes he can use density to like measure, and he screams Eureka and Eureka and runs naked through the city. It's like there's a very famous legend, but it wasn't written down for like 200 years after Archimedes was dead, so. Yeah, a lot of our stories are just, they sound great, but there's they've changed and been modified or been made up from whole cloth. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of sounds like the Bible. <laughs> wonk, wonk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think there's some, some big gaps there, uh, even between the, the events, whether it was 1924 or 25, then being written down in the, 50, the 30s, uh, and then not really treated until fate magazine again in the the 60s and then you said the reader's digest version in the 80s yeah i I mean it reminds me of the other episode i guess we've got coming out uh soon too talking about the chase coffins yes 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 exactly yeah that might might be our theme for 2021 is uh the what it morphing and evolution of of of, of, uh, a narrative and and legend and lore yeah the big gaps in between yeah the times that these stories are told and usually a big gap between the incidents and the first reproduction or writing telling of the story yeah and a lot changes in that amount of time i mean just your memories even if you mean best like if you mean absolute best efforts at accuracy if you're working from memory 10 years is a long time. I didn't remember a third of the facts when I went back to look at this case, which is now 10 years from when I looked at it, right? Yeah, between episode 16 and now, absolutely. And I mean, no one could be around who's alive anymore uh from from that was weird the way i said that but well no it's true it's true i mean like uh, several of the people i've talked to in that research are probably dead now i mean it's sad but true i mean jim mosley's definitely dead i talked to him which by the way i (laughs) this is really in all the work we've done one of my favorite moments is jim mosley is a ufo researcher and he ran a saucer smear magazine or newsletter and uh when I called him, he was living in Florida at the time. He used to be he used to be friends with James Randi. They used to be Tomb Raiders together. No kidding. Like like it's it, anyway. He Randy's dead. Mosley's dead. But when I called Mosley and told him what I was looking into, he remembered Michael Mann. They had been friends. But he he stopped me and said, "You know, you're looking at some really obscure, weird stuff here." And I'm <laughs> like, "I'm like Jim Mosley, <laughs> dude. Like you spent your entire life looking at UFO stories." And you're telling me I'm the one looking into weird, obscure stuff. 
I yeah. that is a badge of honor which will never tarnish, right? <laughs> yeah, lovely irony. <laughs> so I guess you I've, I've kind of already asked you this uh, in asking if anything's missing. Is the story complete now? <laughs> I feel like it is. Yeah, I feel like I can stop wondering about like this this was a huge either a huge itch got scratched or a huge pimple got popped. Something yeah. <laughs> something very satisfying something and mildly gross happened here. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, our listeners too might uh, come up with some more information too. So if anyone has any insights that they want to share too, feel free to, to get in touch with us. And Because I think there are other people who have worked on this too and, and have an interest in this topic. It's one of those classics. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I wanted to get this like, I loved getting this published in 40 and times. I was delighted mm -hmm. because they're one of the few venues out there that actually paid for their research. I, I love it. Love it. But and uh, they love folklore and, and the truth and yeah. skepticism. And I like the fact that they will like, they will talk to skeptics and let skeptical researchers do work there. And uh, yeah, I had the article about uh, the Gyra ghost published in there. So yeah, there we've had on Mike dash who used to be the editor. I mean, so, I mean, you know, I, I, this is a good place for stuff like that. And it's a great magazine. I like it. And, uh, Oh, it's one of the best out there. Yeah. I wish, I wish they had wanted this, but if they did, they, they never responded to my emails on it. So I, I just want to get the, the, basically I want to get the priority of having found this out there in the public, you know? So, yeah. Well, I think between this show and we'll definitely put together a YouTube version uh, hopefully that's going to dispel some of the the myths. But do you think with what you have already published in 40 and Times, do you think that you've had any influence on the narrative or do you think people are just still retelling? Uh, you know what? I did find I found a couple. And unfortunately, let me say this. I found a couple of sites that pointed to my research. But then 40 and Times pulled all their stuff offline and put it behind a paywall. And... That was a real, in my opinion, disservice to the research community because it means that people can't go there and see all the hard work that's been done by 40 Times writers, right? Lots right. and lots of stuff has been written about in 40 Times that gives really good insights. And I realize it's a for-profit business, but it'd be nice if they like took some of these definitive cases and made them available uh, in PDF form or something. Yeah. I agree. I guess they're the popular ones too, that they can encourage people to to make purchases on but yeah i totally agree with you monster talk you've been listening to monster talk the science show about monsters i'm blake smith and i'm karen stolzner you just heard a discussion of my continued research into the watertown ghost photo of 1925 while the photo is real it appears the ghosts sadly were not but lost in that bit of hoaxing is the harrowing story of the dangerous life of sailors in the 1920s and the heroic work of a long-forgotten sailor named Costi Taviola and his perilous journey down a 40-foot tube merely 20 inches in diameter to try and save his shipmates. I know we're always asking for reviews and whatnot, but if you look in the show notes, I posted a link to a write-up about this case on the blogging site Medium. If you'd like to share this story with your fellow paranormal enthusiasts, it would be great if you could use that link, since it has both the original and the uncropped photo, plus lots of other details. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the very best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. We have links there to our Patreon page as well as a donation button. Another great way to support the show is to buy books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list, which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindles so we can share our digital libraries with each other. And finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. As always, thank you for listening.
This has been a Monster House presentation.